All right. Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn in then to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. As we begin, let's pray together. Father, thank you again for our time tonight. Thank you that your word is sufficient for all that we need for life and for godliness and that we open it with an expectation to hear from you, to learn from you, and to know what it means to be your children, how we are to live, how we are to exalt your name, both in word and deed. And so tonight we have that expectation on our heart. We know that you have given us the spirit to live within us to direct us and guide us, and we are grateful for that. And so we ask you to honor your name as we open your word and look to it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, down through verse 26. I want to read that for us tonight. The Apostle Paul says, For you were called to freedom. Brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. It's amazing how the Lord works in our time of study in Luke chapter 6 and speaking about what is the character of a Christian. And yet here we are in Galatians with the Apostle Paul writing to the believers in Galatia and he's dealing with the very same issues. Remember what the Apostle Paul said back in chapter 1 and verse 5 began this entire epistle, or I'm sorry, chapter, verse 1 of chapter 5, I should say. He 
states it was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. As a true Christian, what Paul says there in chapter 5 verse 1 is a fact. It is a done deal. It's a settled reality. That is simply to say that each and every true believer has been granted by God through His declaration in Jesus Christ, as we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we have been granted justification through that faith in Christ. Not because of what we have done, not because of some act on our part, but simply because of Jesus Christ and what He has accomplished on behalf of sinners like us. Each person who has believed upon Jesus Christ, those who have repented of their sin and turned to Christ in faith, has been justified in the eyes of God. There is nothing you could have done through your own efforts to gain that kindness from God. Nothing at all you could have tried to do or worked to accomplish in order to receive that grace. There is no effort on our part that made us acceptable to God. It was only through the righteousness of Christ imputed to us through faith in Him. That simply means what we understand and know as Christians, that we as Christians have been therefore then set free from striving to please God. We have been set free from the standard of the law over us, which we could never meet, whereby we strive to attain some kind of pleasing before God in order that we might live in and by means of the freedom that we might attain by means of our efforts before God, but we could never do that. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, and He set us free in order that we might live in and by means of that freedom. The only ones who are truly free in the world in which we live are Christians. We talk a lot about freedom in the United States of America and across the globe and our attempts, at least politically, in order to establish freedom in the countries of the world, and yet the only ones who are truly free, regardless of what country you live in and under what kind of political regime you live under, you are free. The Christian is free. Why? Because in Christ we have been freed from the slavery of attempting to gain a righteousness, stand, a righteous standing before God by our own efforts. That who, that's who is free. By Christ, Paul says, we are set completely free from that kind of activity in order to gain some kind of righteousness which we could never gain. And so that is to say that the Christian cannot be more loved by God than we are loved in Christ. You cannot do something for God whereby God would therefore then love you more than He already loves you. If you are in Christ, you are loved to the maximum. God's love is not diminished. It is not lessened by how you live in faith. 
We are free in Christ, but at the same time, we are not free to live in any way that we might be tempted to live. We are free in Christ. It was for freedom that we were set free, but we are not free to live in any way that we might be tempted to live. This is what brings us to our time tonight in our study. Christ set us free from the slavery of self-effort, but He also set us free to live for Him. He set us free from the slavery of being a slave to our own self-effort at righteousness, yet set us free to live for Him. We are free to the keeping of the law for sanctification, for holiness, for practical outworking of holiness in our lives. We are freed to live according to the law so that we might be made into Christ-likeness in practice. This is what we see happening here in the rest of chapter 5. And chapter 6. And so tonight I want us to, to just turn our attention to the rest of chapter 5 as we see six truths. There's not five. I think last time we were together I said there were five, but as I was looking at this, there's really six truths about the Christian life that are going to help us obey for sanctification and not for justification. Six truths that will help us obey for sanctification and not justification. Or as I've entitled this message and the series we are in, living out what really matters most. Living out what really matters most. And last time we were here, we saw first of all that we are to be mindful of our calling. Be mindful of our calling. We'll do a little review here and then attach a few more of these to it. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Paul says, listen, your freedom in Christ is the foundation for your own life and for your life together as Christians. This is the foundation by which you live. Your freedom in Christ. In other words, that no relationship that we have in life whether it be our relationship with God Himself, our relationship with one another will flourish. Our relationships will not flourish. They will not be operating as they should be operating unless we realize that we are free in Christ. In other words, I don't have to act a certain way before God in order for God to love me. He has loved me to the max in Christ. And I don't have to live and act a certain way with you so that I might gain acceptance with you and with God. I'm free from all of that. We have to understand that. We have to understand that freedom in Christ is a relational reality. A relational reality. When it comes to our salvation, we are free insofar as we are related to God and His wrath. Right, We are free from the wrath of God. Through Christ, we have been freed from God's wrathful hand upon us. Christ took all of the wrath of God on our behalf on the cross. God, Christ became our substitutionary sacrifice. And the imputed righteousness or the righteousness of Christ was imputed to us. 
So if that were not the case, then we would not be free in Christ. If, if the wrath of God was still upon us even though we were in Christ, then we are not free in Christ. We are still in a moral and spiritual bondage to our own slavery of sin before God. We're not free if Christ did not set us fully free from the wrath of God. And it wouldn't matter how we lived. We're still under condemnation. Doesn't matter how good we are, doesn't matter how much you do, you're still under condemnation if Christ has not set you free. And yet Paul says that when we know Jesus Christ by faith, when God calls us to Himself through Christ, He sets us free. The relationship between us and Him is no longer a relationship of enemies. It is a relationship of father and son, and we are set free from the enslavement of personal effort of justifying ourselves before God. We're no longer under His wrath. We were called to freedom. And so, apart from the effectual call of God upon our life to come to Him and to embrace Him through Christ by faith, we would still be in slavery to sin and self. This is why the Apostle Paul says here, even in the second part of verse 13, and we'll talk about it more in a minute, but he says, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. What he means is for your own self, for your own self-gratification. That's the flesh. Serving of self. So without Christ, we are slaves of self, but in Christ, we are free from slavery to self. Free from serving ourselves and doing what is what we want to do. That's what the flesh is, the fallen self. It's not the skin wrapped around your bones on your body, the epidermis of your physical body. It is, it is this idea of, of your very being, your, your, your old person, your fallen self, the old us, the dead man without Christ. That's what he's talking about. With all of its passions, all of its desires... We see those deeds of the flesh, deeds of the old flesh, that are evident in verse 19 and following, down through verse 21. So while we are free from the ruling of the flesh, the ruling of self through faith in Jesus Christ, the reality is the flesh is still there. It's still there. We're free from its rule, but the dead stench of the old man is still there. We go around like people in grave clothes sometimes. And the flesh is continually desiring to, to bring us down with it. To do what it wants. It wants to us to do what it loves. But Paul says we've been called to freedom. We've been called to freedom. That's not who we are anymore. So what God has accomplished through Christ on our behalf has been done, and it has ongoing results in our lives. It wasn't a one-time act, and now you've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps as if you have fire insurance in heaven, but the rest of your life you deal with on your own. No, God saved us. He set us free from ourself, from serving ourself, and that has ongoing results as we live this life here and now. Therefore, here's the negative side, Paul says, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Don't take this realization that you're free in Christ and now be using it as 
a get-out-of-jail-free card or a, or a way in which your flesh can be served. So Paul tells us to remember what God calls us to, freedom for justification. Then we can and will use our freedom as a means, if we're not careful, if we don't remember that, we can use it easily as a means for self-personal gratification. And that means that we strive for self. So here's the challenge that Paul wants us to realize, right? We still live, even though we're free in Christ, even though God has freed us, right? We were called for freedom. We've been free in Christ. Paul's saying this to the Galatian believers who are, who are being tempted with doing works and effort in order to please God. Paul says you've been freed in Christ, yet you still live in this realm of sinfulness. You still possess the fallen body, You're still here in this fallen world. You're still in this, as chapter 1, verse 4 says, in this present evil age. And therefore, the flesh is constantly looking. It's constantly seeking out an opportunity to get back in action. And so while we've been set free from the keeping of the law for justification, we cannot allow the old dead self to convince us that living by the flesh is okay after justification. In other words, living by the flesh is not okay simply because we've been justified before God any more than it was okay before. Because if we do that, we're going to work at destroying relationships. If we live as if freedom frees us up and gives us a a license to do whatever we want to do, we will, in fact, destroy relationships. We'll destroy our relationship with Christ and we will destroy our relationship with others. So this is the first truth that we need to be remembering, our calling. The second truth, though, is this. Understand our purpose in being freed. We've touched on it a little bit, but but here it is. Right? Don't, Brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We talked about this at length last time, and so I just want to remind us of these things, right? We have to remember our calling. We are free in Christ. And secondly, we have to understand our purpose for being freed. Our purpose for being freed is not to serve ourselves in any way we choose. Our purpose for being freed is to, through love, serve one another, I find it very interesting as I, as I think about that, because no matter which way we choose to live, it's still a volitional choice that we're making. If you choose to live out of license in your life, you're free, so it really doesn't matter. You're going to live for yourself any way you want because you're justified. Or if you choose to serve one another through love, it's still a choice you're making. You say, why do, why do you say that? Why do you think that's important? Well, I think it's important for this reason, because often, oftentimes, here's what happens in our mind as we're living out our Christian life. We, we like to use circumstances as reasons for why we do certain things. We say it in our language. We use this in words that we use, in sentences we use, in dealing with relationships with one another. Well, that person really annoyed me. Or, you made me mad. We say things like that. No, that's not the case. That's not the case. The circumstances don't control you. You have a 
reality and a responsibility within a circumstance and a freedom in, under God through Christ to do what is honoring to God. And so if you got mad, sinfully mad, it wasn't because the circumstance, it was because you made a choice. If you were annoyed, it was because you made a choice. And so here is Paul saying to us that how we live has nothing to do with anything around us. It has everything to do with our choices as we respond to the circumstances in and around us in our life. In other words, as Christians, we have been freed from self-living, and therefore when we live for self, that's a choice. That's a sinful choice. It's a dishonoring of God choice. It's it's what we should not be doing. And it's as much of a choice to do that as it is a choice to, through love, serve one another. And this is something we have to realize. The flesh, our old self-serving self, our old desire for us is the sworn enemy of every relationship that we have in life. Whatever sphere we have those relationships in, whether it's the workplace, whether it's the home, whether it's the church, whether it's just out at the grocery store, whether it's the driver driving on the road, whatever it is, the relationship we're in, Our flesh is a sworn enemy of those relationships. Our flesh doesn't want you to do anything except serve you. It wants you to feed you. So no matter what relationship we have, whether it's inside the church or outside the church, our self-serving desires are the sworn enemy within those relationships. And the self-serving passions and desires, when we live by them, when we choose to live by those, The very actions are those that wreak havoc upon each and every relationship that we have, including our relationship with Christ. When we live to serve self, we are distant from Christ. When we serve ourselves in our own Christian relationship, we want to put God on the shelf. We treat Him like He's a cosmic genie to us. We only ask Him for things when we have something that we really want. And so we go to God and we ask God. God becomes this this outside reality to us, almost like the idol in the corner, and we pick Him up when we need Him, but the relationship is very distant. And when we live to serve self, that brings damage to relationships, not only with Christ, but our relationship with everybody else here on this earth. So Paul says, don't give your flesh an opportunity. Don't give your flesh, remember from our study last time, don't give your flesh a beachhead, a a place of operation. Don't let it set up a a, a battleground of operation. Think of World War II and and us coming on Normandy Beach and the thousands of soldiers coming there and that beachhead becomes the place of operation. Don't let your flesh become a beachhead of operation in light of the the fact that you are free in Christ. Don't let it convince you that living for self is the way to go. Don't let your freedom in Christ become the opportunity for your flesh so that you serve yourself in a self-serving way. Instead, our purpose is completely opposite of that as we are free in Christ. Our purpose is to, through love, serve one another. This is why Paul told the Corinthian church, listen, you cannot just 
exercise your freedom any way you want to live. Your freedom isn't for your flesh. Your freedom is God freeing you up so that you can serve and love one another. It's for you to deny yourself. It's for you to forego those kinds of things out of love for someone else. We are to love. That's what love means. Agape, self-sacrifice. Serve. Serve is that word slave. We are to be slaves. So, so listen, to, listen to what God is saying to us, the Christian, through the Apostle Paul. He's telling us that God, through Christ, gave us a relationship with Him. Gave us a relationship. Restored a relationship with God through Christ. God granted that to us, justifying us so that we can stand in His presence without being poured out His wrath upon us. We, are, we have a relationship with God so that in Christ we are free from self-service. We are free from serving ourselves on this earth and in all the relationships that God brings about in our life on this earth in order to be self-sacrificing, to be giving ourselves as self-sacrificing slaves in order that people who see us and interact with us would see Christ. We do that because we're free in Christ. Now here's the irony in all of that. The irony is that the flesh says to us, do all you can do. Do all you can do for yourself in order to gain righteousness before God. That's what the flesh says. Do all you can do in order that, that God's happy with you. Do all you can do in order that you might feel like you're loved by God and all these kinds of things. The flesh does that. Take care of yourself. But Paul says that the reality is that by serving others through love, by sacrificing yourself on behalf of others through love, a love for Christ and therefore a love for others, Paul says, look, if you do that, then you're actually, in doing that, you're fulfilling the whole law. Notice verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In a statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he's quoting Leviticus 19, the law. He's saying that, I think, with specific direction towards these believers in Galatia who were thinking about following the law in order to honor God. They're, they're trying to say, we're trying to fulfill the law by our own self-serving efforts. Paul says, listen, you want to fulfill the law? Then love one another because through love you fulfill the whole law. The law is fulfilled, the Galatians were hearing, as the Judaizers are saying, by what you do. You get circumcised, you'd be right with God. Free, you're free. You, you can fulfill the law, and your relationship with God will be right. Paul says that's not how the law is fulfilled. That may be what you're, say, what you're hearing, but that's not how the law is fulfilled. The law is perfectly fulfilled by Christ. And therefore, being in Christ and through Christ, you can fulfill the law of love as you love one another. Sacrificial love. You can't do that outside of Christ. Why? Because you only love yourself. 
This love that Christ is, this love that we have poured out in our hearts by the Spirit, this love that we are to, through love, serve one another, this is active and seen in us as Christians as we serve one another. They will know you are my disciples by your love, John said. In other words, when we are self-denying, when we are self-sacrificing servants of others, We are fulfilling God's perfect law. We're fulfilling God's perfect law. Why? Because we are free in Christ. We're not doing it in order to gain freedom by some effort. We are doing it because we are actually already free in Christ and therefore we love because we love Christ. So the reason that Christ has set us free from self is so that in Him and by Him we could be free to love as the law requires. This is what the law required. So this then is our reason for being free. to Love others sacrificially. That's the reason we've been set free. So rather than giving into the desires and passions of our own flesh in order to, to protect ourselves or in order to promote ourselves and boast about ourselves, instead of that, Paul says, through love, serve one another. Why? Because love fulfills the whole law. You don't even have to worry about any of the other parts of the law. You'll fulfill the whole law if you just love one another. That doesn't mean you're earning justification by loving others. It means that you are exercising Christ's likeness, you're exercising sanctification, you're exercising holiness in practice because you have been justified in Christ. So you want to rid yourself from self-love? You want to rid yourself from the flesh, making a beachhead in your life as an opportunity for your flesh? Then serve others. Starve your flesh of self-love by Agape slavery to others. Just pour yourself out in love toward others. Why? Because of the third. I think it's the third. Maybe it's the fourth. I'm not sure. But anyway, the next point. Know this. Ruin awaits if you don't. Ruin awaits if you don't. Notice verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. What is the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying, listen, there is an inevitable outcome to serving self. There's an inevitable outcome to serving self. It is relationship destroying. It's personal destruction of your own self and destruction of others in the relationships in which you have. Paul says, but if, but if. In other words, he's, he's stating a guaranteed assertion. This is a guaranteed assertion about what happens when we serve self instead of serving others out of love. This is what happens. The assertion is this, if you bite and devour one another, that's what self-serving is, that's what it does. It's, it's ripping at. It's, it's eating up others by your own service of self. 
You're, you're really biting at, chewing at, and devouring others. It's, it's relationship-destroying. So that when we serve self, we convince ourselves that it's only for us. That's what happens. Oh, well, I'm, just, I'm just doing this for me. I mean, this is, this is what, what I think's best. And, and so I'm, I'm just serving myself. I'm living out my freedom in Christ, right? You can't tell me what to do. I'm free in Christ. Have you ever heard that? You ever thought that in your own life? You can't tell me not to do that. I'm free in Christ. It's my life. And yet what we are actually doing in doing that is we are biting and devouring ourselves and we are biting and devouring others in the relationships we have. We think we're just simply exercising our freedom in Christ. Oh, I'm free in Christ. I can do what I want. I'm not hindered by anything. Right? I'm free. And yet what we are doing is we are wounding our own soul and that of others in the family of God as we are exercising that freedom. Because it's all about us. It's not about the relationships we're in. It's not about building up Christ in others. It's not about developing Christ in my own life. It's not about honoring God. It's just about honoring me. All under the guise of being a righteous activity. The word devour takes it even farther, in fact. Bite means this to tear at. Devour carries the idea of total consumption. Total consumption. So, in other words, it's, it's death by a thousand cuts. Little nip here, 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 and pretty soon you're all about yourself and you don't care about anybody else. In fact, in John chapter 2, verse 17, the same word is used in a positive sense in speaking about Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ goes into the temple and He turns over the tables... His father's house says, don't make my father's house this, this place of marketing, right? It says their zeal for your house will consume me. That word consume is that word. In other words, Jesus Christ had a passion. He had a, a, a destructive passion, if you will, in the right sense of the word, for the glory of God. That's what consumed him, the glory of the Father, the, to ensure that God was seen for who he should be. And he was, in our vernacular, he was ate up with it. He wanted to ensure that his father would be glorified through not only himself, but also through others. Christ was consumed with God's glory. That's the word Paul's using here, but he's using it in the sense of our own selves. When we are consumed with our own self, we are attacking our own very souls and we are attacking the souls of others. Well, the warning here is very vivid. It's very vivid. If we do that as Christians. We bite and devour as Christians. Just to say it another way, if we live for ourselves, we need to wake up. We need to wake up. Why? Because we will consume each other that way. We'll consume each other. That's what he says. Take care lest you be consumed by one another. We can say it really simply. You want to bring trouble into your relationships? You want to have trouble within the relationships you have within the church and then you make the church a problem? Or you want to have trouble within the relationships outside the church? Those don't work well? Then go about serving yourself. 
Go about, as a Christian, thinking about your own freedoms in Christ, serve yourself, don't think about anybody else, and in the end, you will be consumed by it. And the relationships around you will be consumed as well. You think you're not spiritually hurting anyone when in fact you are destroying yourself and you are destroying others. So remember your calling. We are free in Christ. Remember your purpose to serve one another. Remember the reason it fulfills the law of God. It honors Christ. Remember the danger Self-service destroys. What's the fix? What's the fix? Here it is, number five, the fix. This is the fix, verses 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, because... The flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So you ask the question, how do we get past the dilemma? How do we serve others in love how do, we, how do we get into that and how do we get past the dilemma to not do that? Because certainly it's easier said than done, isn't it? To serve one another sacrificially, to die to self, to not exalt self, to not want something for yourself, it's easier said than done. Sometimes it's hard to do that. Why? Because sometimes we as people are very hard to love. We're hard to love. We live and act ugly. And on top of that, as a Christian, I know I can lack motivation to love, especially when the situations are difficult. Look at the circumstances around me and go, well, that's just going to be tough. I I don't want to go down that road, so I'm not going to go down that road. Why? Because it's easy when it's easy. It's easy when it's easy, but what about when it's hard? What about when biting and devouring is directed at me? Biting and devouring back seems so much more satisfying. I want to get my pound of flesh. One thing is for sure, we will not serve through love by just mustering up our own tenacity to serve by love. We're just not going to do that. We're left to ourselves, we won't love. We won't do it. If I try to muster that up out of my own humanity and my own energies, I'm not going to love anybody except myself. In fact, the Bible says that any love we have for others is simply because we understand that God first loved us. That's what it says. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8-11. through 11, The one who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. How? That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
So beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you see? The motivating factor behind our love is not us. It isn't energized by us. It's the realization and understanding that in Christ we are loved to the maximum by God. So love comes from God. Love comes through the Holy Spirit as we are brought into Christ, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and unless God, by means of Christ, through the Holy Spirit, pours out His love into our hearts, as we have it in Christ, we will not be able to love others as we ought to love. We will only love self. And we'll do it for our glory, not for the glory of God. Unless God pours out His love into our hearts as He has done through Jesus Christ, unless we understand that we have been loved to the maximum by God, we will love in ways that will only serve ourselves, not in glory to God out of love for God. So serving one another through love becomes about following the Spirit. Paul says, look, through love serve one another. How do I do that, Paul? You do that by the Spirit by the Spirit, relying upon the Spirit so that we can be what God calls us to be in the relationships in which God brings about in the world around us. In other words, the way we do what verses 13 through 15 says is by following what verses 16 through 26 say. In order to be self-sacrificing slaves of others, we must walk by the Spirit, verse 16. We must be led by the Spirit, verse 18. We must be, we must sow the Spirit, as he says in chapter 6 and verse 8. For the one who sows his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. In other words, since we live by the Spirit, then we must walk by the Spirit. That's what he says in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. It's simply to say, if you're saved in Christ, then walk by the Spirit. You have the power to do that in Christ because God has equipped you to do that through the Spirit. Cannot say, well, circumstances are bad, I can't do it. Cannot say, well, I just don't have the power. You cannot say, well, today's a bad day, I'm tired, I can't do that. You have the power to do that. Why? Because you've been made alive by the Spirit. So here's the fix. Here's the fix. A, A is this. No, no, first of all, that following the Spirit is sufficient for overcoming your fleshly desires. This is very, very important. We're going we're gonna to exercise the fix that we see here in 16 through, uh, through 26. We have to first of all know, understand, realize, internalize, take it into your mind, know this, let it rest upon you. Following the Spirit is sufficient, it is enough, it is all that you need for overcoming your fleshly desires. Notice what Paul says here in verses 16 and 17. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. 
Why? Because the desire of the flesh, or because the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Notice, the promise made here is to those who are in Christ. This is not for pagans. This is not a moral system in which you can do. You must be in Christ. Walk by the Spirit. So many Christians seem to be convinced that their failures and patterns of fleshly indulgence, self-serving themselves, are something that can just be beat by their own efforts. And yet, here Paul is saying that victory over the flesh can be had but it can be had in one way and one way only. In fact, the, the original language, the emphasis here is even stronger than it seems to be in the English language. We could read it like this. If you walk by the Spirit, verse 16, if you walk by the Spirit, you will in no way, not a chance, absolutely not in any kind of way fulfill the desires of your flesh. That's the, that's the push that Paul has there in those words. In other words, it is impossible, if you're walking by the Spirit, it is impossible for you to walk by the flesh. So think about that in a logical way. My brain kind of operates in those functions. If it's A, then it must be B, right? Paul is very logical. He is a very logical writer, and that means that the Spirit is logical because it's the Spirit that carried along Paul to bring these things, right? Men were carried along by the Spirit, 2 Peter tells us. This is how we got the Scriptures. It was the Spirit of God. This is the Word of God. So the Spirit is logical. And here's the logic of the Spirit. You cannot head in two different directions at the same time. That's the logic. You cannot go two different directions all at the same time. Opposite directions go opposite directions. It makes sense, doesn't it? If you are walking in one direction physically, if you physically head down the road in the direction that is west, there is no way that at the same time you can be walking east. Impossible. Absolutely impossible. There is no way, not a chance, absolutely no way that you could be walking the other direction at the same time. It is impossible. This is the emphasis that Paul has here. So, Paul says, if you walk by the Spirit, i.e., if you walk according to the Spirit, that's the idea, there is no way you can walk according to the flesh. So, think about it. In the fight against the desires of our old self, in the fight against our flesh wanting to do what it wants to do, our old, dead, sinful, self-serving self, in the fight against carrying out its desires, our confidence must be in the Spirit. Our confidence has to be in the sufficiency of the Spirit to overcome all of that. In other words, we must fully believe that what the Spirit asks of us and commands of us is better, and it will ensure victory over the deeds of the flesh. You see, this is where we often fail. Because right on the start line, 
right out of the start line, here's how we fail. We're not convinced that what the Spirit says will help. We're not convinced that what the Spirit says to us is going to help us. And on top of that, even if we think it might help us, it's not going to be easy to walk by the Spirit as it is to walk by the flesh. And so we succumb and we say, after all, I'm free in Christ, so what does it matter anyway? We are convinced because we've convinced ourselves that the Spirit's words are not sufficient. They are too hard, and I'm free anyway, so why bother? And so we serve self, and all of that destroys others and ourselves. You say, what does Paul mean by walk? Walk is your way of life, your conduct of life. That's just what the word means. It's how you live. So carry out how you live... Carry out your life by the Spirit, or better, according to the Spirit. So in our life, in our Christianity, we are to follow the Spirit, live according to the Spirit. You say, what does that mean? It simply means obedience. Obedience to the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? The Word of God. This is the things of the Spirit. This is the only things of the Spirit. This is the only place we hear from the Spirit. You do not hear it from impressions upon your heart. You do not hear it in voices at night. You do not hear it in any kind of way. When we hear the Spirit, when we listen to the Spirit, we are hearing and listening to the Word of God. You say, why would you say that? Because that's what God said. Listen to what Jesus said. God incarnate said to the disciples. John 16, verse 13. When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And then Jesus, in praying in John chapter 17 and verse 17, said these great words, Father, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. So the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth who will come and lead us in truth, and He only does what He hears. He doesn't do anything on His own initiative. He only speaks what He hears. He's the one who, who was leading those who gave us the Scripture. So these are the Spirit's words. These are the Spirit of God's words upon the page. And Christ said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So the Spirit's words are the Scripture's words. So the Spirit of God leads us in the Scriptures, leads us in truth. The truth is the Word of God. But when Paul says here, but walk by the Spirit, he means walk by what the Word of God says. Do what the Bible says. Believe, know, embrace own for your own life that what the Spirit says, what the Bible says, is sufficient to give you what you need for victory over the flesh. Don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. How confident are we of the sufficiency of the Spirit to give us what we need for victory? That's the question. 
Notice how Paul lays it out. I mean, he lays it out so clearly. Verse 16, he states it with clarity. If you walk by the Spirit, if you do what the Word of God says, you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. You want to get over that sinful pattern in your life? You want to stop doing those things that destroy relationships, stop serving yourself? Then follow what the Scriptures say. Do what the Word of God says. And why does that work? Because they're in opposition to one another. Your flesh doesn't want to do it. And the Spirit says, this is what you need to do. Your flesh is saying, do this. It doesn't want you to do the things that you need to. It wants to do what you'll ple- what would please you. And you need to please the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who called you out of darkness into light, the one who brought you into a relationship with Himself the one who took you out of the domain of darkness, the one who took you away from the wrath of God that was upon you as He died for you and drew you to Himself, and you were called to this freedom to live for Him. You have the power to live for Him. You can't say, I can't do it. You just need to do what God's Word says. This is an imperative command in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit. This is not a suggestion. It's not a maybe. It is a, this is what you must do. You want to beat the flesh? You want to beat the desires of the flesh? Walk by the Spirit. And know that when you are led by the Spirit, when you're following the Spirit, you're not under the law. It's not something over your head pounding you that if you fail, oh man, you're out, the curse is upon you. No, you're already free in Christ. So how confident are we of the sufficiency of the Spirit of God to give us what we need for victory? That's the question. Are we as confident in the Word of God as we are in our own self? You see, when we're frustrated and we're tempted to be discouraged, the only thing that's going to fight against the flesh, the only thing that's going to beat back the striving for self, the short tempers, the bitterness, the indulging of my own desires, my own self-gratification, the only thing that's going to beat that is doing what God's Word says instead of feeding myself. Instead of doing what your freedom says to do in sense of license and, hey, don't worry about that. I can do what I want. I'm free in Christ. Instead of doing that, do what the Word of God says and serve sacrificially one another out of love. Don't sign a truce with your sinful desires. Don't sit down and go, well, it really doesn't matter and settle there. Simply because you're free in Christ. Don't do that. No, if you think that's the safe place, then you're deceived. If you think the safe place is just signing a truth with your truce with your flesh and doing what you want because you're free in Christ, live out your license and go ahead because after all we're under grace. If that's what you think is a safe place, you're deceived and quite possibly you may not even be saved. You may not be free at all. Paul says if we're led by the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh and you won't get to that place where you think your freedom can just be lived any way you want because you'll know you're not under the law. It doesn't matter anyway. You're not under the law. Implication, if you're led by the flesh, even though you may think that you're not under the law, if you live by the self-service of the flesh and you think, well, I'm free in Christ, I'm not under the law, so I'll live however I want, and you're just self-gratifying all the time. If you live like that and you think you're not under the law, you are at least in practice under the law. 
you're in practice living as if the law matters by way of justification. And so by practice, you're at least under the law, if not really under it in your soul, because maybe you don't know Christ at all, because you want to think you can live any way you want. Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. What are they? What are the desires of the flesh? Verse 19 through 21 gives them to us. We're not going to cover them tonight. I'm sure you're glad about that. 19, they're evident. These are the deeds of the flesh. They're evident. Not an exhaustive list, but certainly enough to cover all the deeds of self-serving that we've found in our own lives, let alone the lives of those that were around. And if there's not something in the list that's in your life, then Paul says, and things like these. In other words, anything that's self-serving, anything that goes for self. If you live that way, if you continue to live that way, if you practice these kinds of things, know this for sure. Paul even makes it very clear to the Galatian believers. Know this for sure. If that's your life by practice, then you're not in the kingdom of God, even though you may think you are. What does it mean to live out what matters most? It means walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Obey what the Word of God says, and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. You've been equipped to do so in Christ. We're free in Christ. We can do it. And so Paul says, this is how you must live. Well, we'll get more. We'll get more next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul as he has by your great grace, exhorted us in how we can live out what matters most here and now. Lord, as we survey our own life, surely there are things in an inventory in our own minds of things whereby we fail so often, where we live for self. Little things, subtle things, areas in which we even convince ourselves we deserve it. It's for us. After all, I'm not doing anything wrong. I deserve this. Yet you tell us to walk by the Spirit. Live according to what your word says. Your word surely says everywhere to not serve self. Help us to be like that. Help us to serve one another because we know you've loved us and therefore we can love others in the same way. You gave it all for those who didn't deserve it. Surely we ought to love one another in that same way. Help us to do that in this church. Help us to do that in the relationships that we have with one another. Be them family relationships, friendship relationships. And help us do that in a world that needs to know that without Christ, they're going to face an eternal judgment with you. Maybe you have given us the privilege to be the only example they would ever see of that in Christ, the mercy of Christ, as we serve others. Lord, if we would be used by that, it would be a great privilege. We'll give you the glory in the end, serving you for eternity. All to your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.